Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome. I'm Steve Johnson, Director of the Americas Program at CSIS. And if uh, invite our distinguished panelists to take uh, their seats and uh, everybody else, and we'll get started with our program this morning. It's really great to see so many people here today. And before we get started, I just want to remind everyone to turn off their cell phone ringers to the silent or vibrate mode. And to remember that when we come to the question and answer portion of our program, to please raise your hand so that we can get a microphone over to you. Uh, and when that happens, please state your name and affiliation and keep your questions reasonably short so that we can entertain as, as many as possible. That said, why have we come here to have a panel discussion on Panama? Panama has a canal. It's a close neighbor and friend. Many Americans are choosing to retire there. Case closed. <laughs> Not long ago, my colleague Michael Shifter at the Inter-American Dialogue remarked that it is a shame that we don't know more about Panama, and perhaps it would be a good idea to hold a panel discussion to fill in some of the blanks. So I discussed this with Jaime Aleman, Panama's former envoy to Washington, and co-chair of the CSIS Ambassadors Council. He suggested a program on politics, security, press freedoms, the business climate, and economy that features the distinguished speakers that you see here before you today. Now, not everyone on this platform will agree with one another, but that is precisely the point. This discussion isn't meant to be a one-sided critique, nor a glowing report. It is meant to give you a picture of a complex society with problems similar to our own, challenges as well as great opportunities ahead. Thanks to Panama's current ambassador, Mauricio Jaramillo and his embassy staff, we have made some of the arrangements that brought this panel together today. So thank you, Ambassador Jaramillo. Uh, let's, I, I think you're back here in, in, in the audience. So we wanna thank you for helping us out with this. And thanks also to Vice President Juan Carlos Varela, Economy Minister Frank de Lima, and our other distinguished panelists who have taken time from their busy schedules uh, to be with us today. It's not easy to get so many people and so many distinguished uh, people that have high-profile jobs in a country to be in one place at one time. So to get us started, I'd like to call former Ambassador Jaime Aleman a distinguished lawyer and public servant in his own right, to the podium to introduce our topic and our speakers, Ambassador Aleman. Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, I would like to thank all of you for coming today. I had not expected to, uh, to give uh, an introduction, but Steve asked me to do so last night, so I stayed up and uh, wrote a few brief words, which I hope will be uh, helpful to setting up the tone uh, for the issues that will be discussed today. We have a great turnout, which I believe is partially due to the fact that there has not been an event of this nature about Panama in Washington for many years. It was a wonderful idea for the Inter-American Dialogue and CSIS to join forces to hold the event, which in turn is a tribute to the great vision and leadership of both Michael Shifter and Steve Johnson. As you all know, Panama and the US have had a traditionally strong and positive relationship, 
Unfortunately, that is still the case today. This bond has been further strengthened as a result of the recent ratification of the free trade agreement by the US Congress. The main axis of the relationship at, this, at the present time is the fight against drug trafficking and money laundering, as is the uh, case with the Central American and countries and Mexico in their relationship with the United States. This is an area in which the Martinelli government, in my opinion, has done a very good job. The border with Colombia has been secured, while at the same time several naval bases have been set up on both the Atlantic and Pacific coasts of Panama, which have greatly reduced the flow of drugs moving north through our country on their way to the United States, as has been widely reported recently in the press. This is, without a doubt, a very positive development, as is the fact that money laundering measures have been adopted that have made it much harder for criminals to use the banking sector in Panama for their illicit activities. Panama has fortunately experienced strong economic growth since the US invasion in 1989, and this has helped pull thousands of Panamanians out of poverty and into the middle class. Minister of Finance Frank de Lima will address this issue during his lecture, as will former Minister of Finance Guillermo Chapman, who will highlight some of the risks that lie ahead. Another very positive development that needs to be mentioned is that the Panama Canal expansion project, which will double the waterways capacity, is moving forward and is expected to be completed by December of 2014 which will in turn substantially increase the income that the country receives from the canal's operation. In addition, the government has undertaken several major infrastructure projects, including the construction of the metro, the expansion of the international airport, the building of a new convention center, which will further strengthen our tourist industry, and the construction of new highways, schools, and hospitals throughout the country which will further strengthen Panama's competitiveness and improve the quality of life for all its citizens. However, Panama faces several challenges, including the fact that the edu education system continues to be deficient, that income distribution is unequitable, and that the rule of law and separation of powers are solely lacking. The threat to freedom of the press is also a major concern. Mr. Guillermo Adames, one of Panama's leading journalists, will talk about this in his lecture. Another area of concern is the perception that the government may try to subvert the electoral process in order to benefit its candidates in the next presidential and legislative elections, which are scheduled to be held in, the, in May of 2014. I believe that both Vice President Varela and the Chairman of the Electoral Tribunal, Gerardo Solis, will address this issue in their respective presentations. Furthermore, corruption is widely perceived to be rampant and out of control, and is a potential problem for any company that wants to invest in Panama. There are almost daily reports about this in the Panamanian press, even though many people are afraid to talk about it due to fears of retribution from the government. The president's chief of staff recently resigned amidst reports in the press of several scandals involving his family. 
Unfortunately, this appears to be only the tip of the iceberg, as many other cases of corruption have been widely reported and substantiated. This has led to a strong level of outrage among many people in Panama, especially because of the fact that we do not have an independent criminal judicial system capable of investigating these serious allegations and bringing the culprits to trial. In summary, even though Panama has achieved impressive economic growth in the last 22 years, many challenges remain. It is my hope that these challenges will prove to be temporary and that we as Panamanians will be smart enough and responsible enough to realize that unless we solve these problems, the current social and economic stability, which is the envy of our neighbors, will eventually unravel and lead to social upheaval and economic stagnation. Having said that, I would like to introduce my good friend, Vice President Varela, who will address you and, uh, and discuss some of these matters. Thanks, Jaime. Good morning. Uh, Mr. Stephen Johnson, Senior Fellow Director of SIS. Mr. Michael Chifter, President of Inter-American Dialogue. Fellow Panamanian speakers, representative from the media here, ladies and gentlemen. I feel honored to have the opportunity to address such an engaged and committed audience to the best interests of the Western Hemisphere as you are, and the moments where democracy and institutions building have become top priorities for the region. I would like to thank the CSIS and Inter-American Dialogue for your interest in Panama and for having invited us to present you our vision of the country's reality. I come from a democratic country that is a geographic point of convergence and connection for the Americas and the world. Historically, Panama has been characterized as a place of encounters, tolerance and dialogue to seek consensus for the region. The historic and orderly fashion transition of the Canal to Panama in 1999 is one of the best examples of that spirit that defines the Panamanian people. After the Panamanian democracy was fully restored in 1990, the country focused on strengthening its democratic institutions, convinced as we are that within democratic states, the strength of democracy lies in the strength of their own institutions, as well as in the people's understanding of the advantage of this system, their ability to put democracy into practice and to obtain, to obtain positive outcomes. Since the redemocratization re of Panama, we have been able to enjoy what it's like to have an independent electoral tribunal, free and transparent elections, with fast and reliable results acknowledged by all the political forces. Another endeavor that we undertook as a nation was to modernize our economy, to make it more efficient within the changing international scenario. As it will be explained by other speakers, who handle these issues very well, we have been very successful doing so. And as a result, the country has obtained an investment grade and remains to have a steady economic growth based on solid pillars that make our economy less vulnerable. Despite of this positive economic outlook and having one of the fastest growing economies in the Americas, it has failed to translate into a better quality of living for all Panamanians. And the bigger challenge that we face remains to be poverty and social inequality. Approximately 30% of the Panamanians live in poverty, 
live in extreme poverty, and we are the second country with the most unequal distribution of income in the Americas, according to the United Nations Human Development Index. If this issue is not properly and responsibly addressed by the Panamanian governments with a state vision, poverty may lead to increasing levels of social unrest, crime, and violence that will affect the country's good governance, hurt the Panamanian economy, and undermine our democratic system. With this in mind, I enter into politics with goal of creating a balance between Panama's economic growth and the human development of the country. Therefore, as president of the Panamanista Party, I decided to enter into a coalition with the Cambio Democratico political party of President Ricardo Martinelli that led to the victory in 2009 elections. For 26 months, while being part of the government coalition, my team and I worked very hard to establish a government and social agenda aimed to tackle the roots of poverty in Panama with initiatives such as scholarships, affordable housing, and the 100 for 70 program consisting of a monthly allowance for people over 70 years old who did not have social security. We also achieved a historical increase of the minimum wage to match Panama's inflation and high cost of living. Furthermore, we, we began social programs in the city of Panama and Colón as part of a strategy to prevent and reduce crime by improving housing conditions, security, and access to social services for hundreds of Panamanian families living in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods of the country. As former Minister of Foreign Affairs, my team and I also had the opportunity to redefine Panama's foreign policy to serve the needs of the country in all areas such as human rights, security, trade, regional integration, foreign investment, international cooperation, and sustainable development. Sadly, our government coalition fell apart due to the mistaken priorities of President Martinelli's administration, the lack of transparency and accountability over state resources, and the use of these resources by members of, of his own party for political gain, while trying to impose restrictions to freedom of expression. As a result, the Panamanista party that I represent went to lead a constructive opposition, working together with the civil society and other parties to keep pushing the government to refocus its priorities in order to address the basic needs of the Panamanian people. Despite of all, the Panamanian democracy remains to be strong, and whenever a government attempts to undertake actions that could threaten our democratic system, the Panamanian people have come together and quickly responded to, to stop such threats. On June 19 of 2012, when the current government attempted to designate three additional judges of the Supreme Court in order to gain control of the judiciary, and the ruling party legislators tried to sell state-owned assets to cover a fiscal deficit and to get more cash for political gain, the Front for Democracy was created in order to defend Panama democratic systems and the heritage of the future generations. A few, days, a few days later, as a result of the mobilizations of the Front for Democracy formed by opposition party leaders, workers, and representatives of more than 18 organizations of the civil society, President Martinelli and the Cambio Democratico Party were forced to repeal both of these laws. When the government launched a dirty campaign to deter journalists and members of the opposition from denouncing corruption scandals, the National Association of Journalists, the Panamanian media, and the civil society stood up together 
to participate in a march held on July 12th of this year to defend our freedom of expression. When the current government used state resources to run a dirty campaign of TV ads against the Front for Democracy and against my personal image, the Electoral Tribunal ordered the suspension of such TV ads on July 19 of 2012. When a group of workers of a construction company that has been gained, granted millions through government contracts gathered to block the distribution outlets of La Prensa newspapers on August 3 of 2012, the citizens rallied to support La Prensa, helping to get the newspaper out that same morning and putting the necessary pressure for the office of the Attorney General to start a criminal invest investigation on these events. When a ruling party candidate was proven to have bought a local government election held in the district of Bebedero in the province of Los Santos, the Electoral Tribunal ruled to annul the results of this election on August 17 of 2012 and called for new elections. For the last month, President Martinelli and his legislative majority that was illegally obtained after having bought a group of opposition party legislators with state resources have been trying to pass a tailor-made electoral reform in order to benefit their own political party and manipulate the results of the 2014 elections. Despite the new series of mobilizations carried by the Front for Democracy of Democracy throughout the country within last weeks, yesterday, the National Assembly, controlled by the ruling party of President Martinelli, chose to legislate in their own favor and advance the electoral reforms to third debate. The strong and united opposition from the Electoral Tribunal, representative of civil society, and each political parties of opposition have requested the president in numerous occasions to withdraw any legislation that changes the electoral rules so close to the next elections and fails to reflect the consensus of the people. This afternoon, the National Assembly will be guarded by the anti-riot squads of the police once again when the ruling party tries to impose the final approval of this electoral manipulation. No matter what, the will of the people will always prevail, and I remain confident that the Panamanian people will continue to defend our democracy against any threat imposed by this or any government. As a country, we have accomplished many goals, but there is still a long road ahead to consolidate our democratic system, which we believe is essential for the country and the society to achieve new sustainable stages of human development beyond our economic growth. I'm confident, I am confident that above all, the large majority of the Panamanian people are very aware of the convenience of going through this process to strengthen our democratic institutional framework. We do not agree with the President's attempt to concentrate political power in the hands of the executive and its intervention in other branches of the state. We do not believe in social confrontation. We do not believe in the imposition of government measures of any kind. And we, don't, and we do not believe in the absolute lack of transparency and government accountability over public funds. I strongly believe, as the majority of Panamanians, in the power of dialogue as the best mechanism to solve our differences and seek consensus. Over all things, I have faith in the Panamanian people, their love for the country, their values, as well as their hard work, entrepreneurship nature, 
and openness to the world. I have faith that we will be able to build a more fair and inclusive society for all Panamanians, where we can all enjoy the advantages of living in a full democracy. The democracy of a country is at risk only when its citizens are not willing to fight for it. And I can rest assured that the Panamanian people will do whatever it takes under the rule of law to protect and defend our democracy for the benefit of the present and future generations. For me, the most important part of the 2014 election is not the political race itself, but the national debate on how to find the best solutions to address the serious problems that affect the Panamanian people and being able to have a state vision on key issues such as health, education, security, and corruption, among many others. I am part of a new generation of Panamanian political leaders fully committed to help our country to play the role of capital city of the Americas, given by our geographic position, the Panama Canal, and our first-class logistic facilities, ports, and airports. We will accomplish our mission towards our people, the region, and the world, fulfilling our destiny of being center of the world and heart of the universe. Thank you for coming today, and thank you for your interest for our country. Thank you, Vice President Varela. Now please welcome, now please welcome Magistrate Gerardo Solis of Panama's Electoral Tribunal. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, I will start by saying, what good does it make to you to have all the gold if you lose your ideals and your soul? We are a showcase. We are the Americans in Latino America. Panama was formed with the help of the United States. And the same year we attained the status of republic, we, the U.S. started building the canal. We have a corporate law that was enacted in 1927, I believe, and we have the same corporate law. We have had four constitutions. What is important is the rule of law. President Varela, uh, Vice President Varela just started by saying that. And I believe that is the most important thing we need to focus on, the rule of law in Panama. And what is the, the, the actual uh, context after the construction of the canal for half a century, we had lots of frauds. I don't believe we had one or two, I would say, fair and just elections. We uh, suffer many U.S. interventions in Panama to put order, most of them requested by the Panamanians. The last one, Operation Just Cause, opens the door for prosperity, for progress, and for democracy. But what is the actual contest? We have lived in a, a consistent improvement of the electoral laws. We have a consensus through the civil society and the electoral court 
the uh, political parties, the universities, the Catholic Church, which is ranked number one in credibility in Panama. And as of the year 2009, uh, it, it's perceived a weakening in the institutionality of our democracy. What is the electoral court? It's an institution aside from the government. It's a state institution. It's an institution of the nation. We don't belong to the government. We are three justices, one by each uh, branch of the government. And we're supposed to be impartial and we're supposed to act uh, objectively. And we are the ones who do the elections. We organize the elections. We keep the records of all the citizens. We issue the ID, the national ID card. We issue that document. And we have the records of all the people who vote. We organize the election and we give the results of the election quick. And since 1990 up until 19 and 2009, all the losers, as soon as we say who won in an unofficial transmission of results, the loser uh, respect and recognize the winner. But, and we also have exclusive jurisdiction on electoral matters. We decide the conflicts on electoral matters for the first time in our history. In 2009, the Supreme Court started to extend their jurisdiction and a constitutional interpretation over the electoral laws. We have exclusive constitutional right to construct the electoral law. This was the case where uh, seven members of the ruling party, Cambio Democratico, wanted to go to Parlacen, the uh, Central American Parliament, and they did not participate in the election, but the Supreme Court told us your decision was wrong. You have to issue credential to these seven guys so they can go to the uh, Parlacen. Uh, uh, I believe that up to now, we had to issue the credentials in 1910 and in 2010. But I believe that up to, until now, Parlacen has not accepted them there. Uh, they didn't run. In 2010, the national legislature make impossible the application of a law that will make impossible the changing of parties. As of that moment, the government attained majority, CD, Cambio Democratico, attained majority in the legislature. It's impossible to forbid uh, the senators to change parties, so they change at will now. In 2010, the Supreme Court also ruled against an old law that said that no person can hold two jobs, elected jobs, at the same time. Uh, you can run to two, three jobs at the same time, but if you win, you have to choose which one you're going to uh, hold. The Supreme Court uh, issued a ruling uh, two years ago saying that you can hold both or three jobs if you are elected to those. That happened to solve a particular political problem 
in one place where one senator wanted also to hold the job of congressman. And he's actually three senators are holding two, more than two jobs. The former uh, president of the legislature, the actual president of the legislature, and another government uh, senator. In 2012, the electoral court rejected the uh, uh, merger of the, the political party Molirena and Cambio Democrático. Uh, and at that moment begins the ill will of the governmental party against the justices of the electoral court. In 2011, December, we had an election, partial election of a Congress uh, person in a very small community. Not important at all. Uh, it won't change anything. The governmental, uh, the official candidate was a well-known and very liked uh, uh, former teacher, retired teacher. But the government did use officials' monies in that election to ensure that she will win the election. The electoral court ruled a couple of days ago uh, in the findings that it was proven that the government did use uh, official monies to assist her to win that elections. I cannot further comment, uh, Vice President Barella just mentioned the name, Bebedero is the name of the community. I cannot uh, uh, keep commenting on uh, the future of the decision because they uh, requested uh, a reconsideration to that decision and uh, one of my colleagues is the, the one that have to decide the, that recourse. During 2011, the electoral court publicly opposed the dangerous initiative of a unconstitutional balloting or second round for electing the president, unprecedented in Panama. For 100 years, we have had the same electoral system than the United States. Just one election, you win with, by majority. Uh, the government tried to uh, pass a law that will uh, uh, require a second election to decide who was going to be the president in 2014. Uh, that unfortunate initiative uh, produced the abandonment of the uh, uh, improvement to the electoral law that was agreed upon with uh, the society. Uh, in 2012, this year, people manifested themselves publicly in the street against the creation of a new courtroom in the Supreme uh, Court under the perce perception that it, was, it, it had a concealed intent to uh, allow the re-election by uh, ways of or means of constructing the electoral law in a way that will allow the, the re-election re of the president. In 2012, uh, the government party uh, submitted its own unilateral reform to the law. Where do you see a player changing the rules during the game to benefit its own side? This is not rule of law. In 2012, President Ricardo Martinelli requested personally 
the Supreme Court to separate, destitute, and condemn the three justices of the Supreme, of the, uh, the Supreme Electoral Court, myself and my colleagues, and our deputies. So uh, he will have the opportunity to, to replace the whole court by just one decision of the Supreme Court. Fortunately, the uh, net public networks on a Sunday were so crowded that that day the president had to call the three justices and uh, ask for forgiveness, I say, and uh, tell us that he will withdraw uh, on Monday the request to the Supreme Court. And he did, but the court hasn't decided it yet. So it's still pending there, that decision. Uh, there, what happened if you're playing a game and during the game, the referee has to be blowing the whistle. Or if you're in a fight and you pull your trunk a little higher and you lower your opponents and the referee is telling you that you're not doing the right thing, you're not doing a fair competition, you don't like the referee. And a discredit campaign against the electoral court has started. In 2012, I will have to say, to honor the presence of uh, Minister Frank de Lima for the first time ever, and I have to thank you very much in public, 100% of our budget was approved for the next year. Never in the history of the electoral court, the, the budget has been approved like that. <laughs> and I also have to say, to honor fairness, President Ricardo Martinelli, it's allowing the electoral court to build an icon structure that will represent the will of the Panamanian people for democracy. We are building a new electoral court that is going to be a landmark that tourists and Panamanians will feel proud of our democracy. What are the challenges that we are facing? Well, my term is due in less than two months, and the Supreme Court has to appoint my replacement. I'm not running for re-election, so the Supreme Court has to select someone that will have enough credibility. Right now, the credibility of the Electoral Court is second, changing places, third and second, with the Canal Authority. We are second to the Catholic Church, which is the number one rank in credibility. So the, the, the Supreme Court has a challenge to find a replacement that will represent a guarantee for the people that the next election will be like the other election we have had. The greatest challenge that I foresee is to make officials understand that public funds cannot be used to support their candidates. That's the biggest change, uh, challenge we have. How we're going to uh, do that? Well, I think we can make it by creating consciousness in the city, educating citizens, 
granting monies to uh, non-governmental organizations to help them uh, promote the, the, the goodwill of, 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 this, of this system that we learned a hundred years ago, which is the American way, which is not buying and selling. The American way is the way of democracy. If, if we understand, if we make everybody understand that progress is what we all want, economic prosperity, but we also need to be able to obtain uh, public good standing in society and the political power has to be accessible to all, not only to the higher level, have to be accessible to all. We're going to be able to move forward and, uh, and, and make grow our democracy. At the end, Panama is like a bottle cork, we say. Doesn't matter what happened in Panama. We always come out floating because we are a melting pot, pot uh, of, of uh, races. We are happy people. We are a people that we never had a, a, a war. And if, wherever you go, you, you find a merry-go-round people that they're, you know, whoever knows, Panamanians knows that we like things the easy way. We have never had to fight uh, a, a war that make us uh, hate each other. We are basically, since the Spanish, since the uh, original inhabitants of America, they, they, they went to Panama to trade. The Spanish also trade with the, Colom uh, with the Portobello uh, uh, trade zones and the Colón free zones. So what merchants want? They want peace. They don't like uh, turmoil and, and, and revolutions. Therefore, I believe that at the end, like Pre Vice President Varela said, the will of the people, our uh, idiosyncrasy will prevail and the good will always come on top. Thank you very much. I should have started by saying that what John Adams, I believe, said. I never checked this quote, but I liked, I liked it at the beginning of the presentation. An unchecked democracy is the most detestable form of government because it takes away all the hope from the people. Thank you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Guillermo, uh, Guillermo Adames, President of the National Council of Jur Journalism. Good morning. Uh, for many years, it has been my privilege to be involved in various elements of our media. Uh, for example, uh, as an owner of a national uh, radio station, director of a national newspaper, host for uh, prestigious television programs or, and radio programs, and also as president of the National Journalism Council. Throughout my career, I have observed many presidents come and go, and have noted some interesting 
patterns in the Panamanian's politicians' relationship with the media. It has uh, consistently demonstrated a uh, um, classic love and hate relationship. Now, some of our friends of journalism uh, and media when they are in the opposition, however, as soon as they got the power or get to power, they uh, undergo a chameleon-like change. Sometimes even becoming our worst enemies. They forget that uh, morals should be the same both while in power and when in opposition, and they become allergic to any dissident. This is not a positive time for the Panamanian journalism. Even with uh, our uh, delicate uh, freedom of speech, journalism and journalists and the media must pay a high price to report or denounce corruption. Our leaders systematically, systematically, I'm sorry, reject accountability and repeatedly attempt to mutilate the media's right to inform and the public's right to be informed. Accountability is the uh, counterbalance of power. One of the most uh, strident uh, criticisms that Panamanian society makes to our current administration, according to the national polls, is not my position. It's the national polls says that uh, those uh, very institutional responsible for making our leaders acceptable for their actions, like the uh, Comptroller uh, General of, or the Assemb Assembly of Deputies, have been effectively captured and controlled. Same applies to the Supreme Court and the public ministry. All, use, all are now subject to the pressures of supreme executive powers. That's what the, our poll says. Until now, the Electoral Tribunal, where his president is here, has remained independent. Given the lack of supervision by the entities responsible for enforcing this delicate mission of accountability, and because the uh, internal institutional controls have been deactivated, it has uh, fallen to the media to fill the void of, uh, by practicing a journalism of a denouncement, equable, 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 but firm. A uh, culture of fear has been promoted as the means to silence independent journalism and media. The administration uses state institutions, such as the tax authority, to prevent journalist enterprises journalistic enterprises from uh, debulbing uh, scandals, many of uh, profound media impact. Nowadays, circumventing the scrutiny of society has become a uh, common practice. 
in order uh, to accomplish this, the independent media must be silenced. Media have been uh, acquired by uh, some high-ranking uh, public officials and their collaborators, being subsequently utilized as uh, venomous chuck troops to attack independent journalism and media. For this, uh, they provide voice to propagandists of lies, mud chroniclers, uh, mixtures of reputations, and flatterers of political power. Television stations, whose owners uh, are allied with the regime of the moment, recure with fervent ferocity to morally discredit any who, who disagree. To them, these are enemies, not adversaries. They suffer uh, an uh, unyielding uh, stubbornness to malign uh, any citizen who disagree, forgetting that the credibility of the journalistic profession is based upon an independence, upon its independence, I'm sorry. The media only provides a reflection of the country, and it is, and as it is, the average Panamanian desires to know the truth and that uh, murky activity from our leaders be denounced, that's important. Panama is uh, poisoned by the lies of some politicians in power and in opposition. The media must report those events that uh, either good or bad are of a general interest. They serve as the sounding board for the accumulated anger of the populace. Democracy is a regime. The democracy is a regime measured by the degree of freedom of expressions that uh, can be exercised without suffering retaliation or intimidation. The government must base its relationship with uh, the media and journalism upon re respect for political and ideological pluralism while uh, refraining from uh, shameful episodes of intolerance and authoritar authoritarianism. The statement publicly uh, issued by the National Journalistic Council during my presidency on October 5, 2010, denounced uh, that among the government's strategies to silence the media there was uh, the abominable uh, return of uh, criminalizing criticism and uh, comments and the opinions from uh, all uh, hierarchical uh, levels throughout the media hewn uh, over the willful misconduct of public uh, officials. Our statement added that uh, Article 184 of the Penal Code clearly expresses that uh, without bias to Articles 189 and 119 of this code, discussions, criticism, and opinions amongst others regarding the acts of uh, or official commissions by public officials relative to the uh, exercise of their functions do not constitute offenses 
against the honor, just as literally, uh, artistic, historical, scientific, or uh, professional criticism. I denounced at that time, at that time that, uh, and I reiterated today that based upon uh, factual evidence, there exists a desire to develop a, a pseudo-legal uh, shield of criminal uh, coercion that uh, threatens the exercise of journalistic criticism and transforms pu public officials of, uh, of all levels into privileged and irresponsible officials. The intent was to uh, deprive uh, of their uh, freedom and journalistic, any journalist who would promote the transparency and honor of public administration. I now refer uh, to various reports from uh, Panamanian journalistic organizations and media have presented to various international organizations, including the American Commission of Human Rights, and these are only a few. I, I'm going on the, to detail, uh, as I said, a few cases of persecution or uh, intimidation to journalists for denouncing acts of corruption in the current administration. For example, for RPC Television, which is Channel 4, uh, a journalist called uh, Juan Carlos Tapia was uh, threatened and uh, inspectors of the tax authority were sent to his company. Alvaro Alvarado, a journalist from the same TV station, denounced that he was called to the public ministry for intimidation, as well as uh, receiving serious threats and being objected to campaigns of discreditation uh, by media affiliated to uh, the government, as well as uh, through the internet, they do the same thing. Journalist of uh, Telemetro, Channel 13, his name is Jose Garibaldi, was assaulted by a uh, legislator or a senator uh, of the governing party in the elections celebrated in a small rural town because he uncovered information about the possible buying of votes at the electoral tribunal by the uh, governing party. That's the same place uh, the vice president mentioned uh, uh, a few minutes ago. Now, a one-year prison sentence and the disqualification to service or to exercise the journalistic profession were imposed to, uh, uh, to the uh, director of news of uh, TVN Channel 2, Sabrina Bacal, and to other uh, journalists named uh, Justino Gonzalez. Journalist Siria Miranda, Eduardo Limjuen, and Kellynette Perez were summoned to a criminal trial for projecting a video of a citizen's report of a police officer allegedly asking for bribes from a driver. The current director of uh, news of Channel 2, Guido Rodriguez, has also received threats for criticizing the government. Discreditation and uh, intimidation campaigns have been uh, uh, directed against Lina Vega and Santiago Cumbreras, journalists of a uh, newspaper, La Prensa, for uh, 
investigating uh, alleged uh, cases of corruption and uh, denouncing them. The director of, of, uh, tur of the Tourism Authority filed uh, a suit uh, against Monica Palm, a journalist of the uh, same newspaper, for questioning certain actions of a said official. The uh, ex-president and uh, founder of uh, Diario La Prensa, Roberto Eisenman, denouncing the denounced, I'm sorry, uh, the sending of tax authority officials to his private company as a retaliation for his criticism of the current government. Some uh, foreign journalists uh, currently settled in Panama has also been uh, affected, as shown by reports of uh, organisms of the press uh, presented uh, to international organizations. Among uh, the outstanding cases is that of the uh, Spanish journalist Paco Gomez Nadal, who was expelled from our country, as well as the case of the uh, colleagues of the uh, Canadian Change CBC, who were denied entry to the country to make a news report about mining in Panama. All this is proved by the media, by the television, the radio, and everything. The uh, scathing speeches from the president and uh, some ministers against media and journalists have uh, united in a common front. The archaic uh, governing stratagems stifle any sympathies toward the government. This is clearly evident as uh, in the results of professional polls with demonstrators uh, who which demonstrate how the public's credibility of most public officials and of public institutions has sharply plunged. The, independ the independence of the media and journalists in denouncing the murky actions of the ruling power bears the intent that transparency within government activities extend to its darkest uh, corners. This is non-negotiable. Political corruption is like a wound that uh, government has, uh, that no government has eradicated. On the contrary, it uh, here seems to have uh, gangrened. The building of Panama's democracy is still a work in progress, one uh, crying out uh, for committed hands. Finally, I would like to conclude on an uh, optimistic note. I hope. <laughs> I hope uh, the president of Panama decides to correct any and, uh, and amend the excess that have taken place against the media and the journalist and uh, the freedom of speech and that he put an end to the intimidation and persecution against those of us who practice journalism seriously and with the sole interest in the progress, peace, and tranquility of our country. Because ruling, uh, I'm sorry, ah, ah. Because, because ruling, that's very usual in Panama. <laughs> because ruling, according to Confucius, implies rectifying. If this does not happen, we are aware that is our, respons our responsibility to defend freedom of speech and democracy every day at any cost because we know
that freedom of speech is the most essential and keystone of them all. Its loss will prevent us from defending any other. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm certainly glad that, uh, that uh, Guillermo did not candy coat uh, any of that. Um, and uh, I'd like to uh, move on now to welcome Guillermo Chapman, chairman of Indesa, a privately held uh, finance corporation in, in Panama, to take a look at the business climate there, which is remarkably vibrant. Thank you, Steve. Good morning to you all. It's uh, an honor and a pleasure to participate in this program sponsored by such prestigious organizations as the CSIS and the Inter-American Dialogue and to chair the podium with uh, such distinguished guests. My Subjects this morning will change tack a little bit. We're going to talk about the economy this time, and the subject is there. Uh, Panama has been, is, and as I said, will continue to be a vibrant and dynamic economy. And I will try to cover the subject in four basic areas, what, uh, what the facts are, what the drivers have been, what are the threats, and the potentials. The facts. In the last decade, we have grown at a compound rate of almost 7%. And in the last six years, close to 9%, which is a fast, sustained rate compounded uh, of real growth of gross domestic product. Last year, it was over 10% real growth. This year, we will repeat that. It's substantially higher than continental China. Probably one or two countries in the world are in that league, maybe Mongolia and some other country I don't know of. Nobody in the Americas growing at that rate. And this is the result of uh, many forces. In our model, the model we have developed in our firm, the main driver is exports of goods and services. We are a very small economy. Exports represent about four-fifths of gross domestic, of gross aggregate demand which is the largest chunk of total demand 
and this is the, the, the big locomotive moving the economy. And out of total exports, which in the past six years grew at close to 12% real terms, services take the lion's share. And then I don't have it in the graph, consumption, which are also a substantial part. And then, sorry, uh, this is 40%, consumption is another 40%, and then investment, which is about 20% of, of uh, aggregate demand and about, uh, and about 25% last year of uh, GDP which has been growing uh, parallel to GDP, but uh, a little faster in the past uh, six years than, than GDP, and which takes some 25% of GDP. Uh, not as high as some of the countries which dedicate about 75% of GDP in, in fixed capital formation, uh, but 25 is a good, uh, is a good chunk. And the government, uh, including the Canal Authority, puts in the public sector, puts in about a little over 8% of GDP. So the message is we are investing substantially, but the public, the private sector is putting up the, li the lion's share of investment. So there are several factors. And in the social area, the results are usually caused by several factors. It's an oversimplification to say this element explains everything. And then we cannot lose sight of the fact that we have a big gap in the current account of the balance of payments, especially since when the economy began growing very fast, the current account has been uh, in deficit from 6 to 12%. Any economies coming first time to Panama from the World Bank or from the IMS, we say, gosh, my gosh, you, you have a really big hole. You have to do something about it. Well, it's a problem of the chicken and the egg because many times, many times, the gap is caused by the red line, by the foreign direct investment. Uh, out of this investment, it's not uh, housing. It's really machinery and equipment and ports and uh, hydroelectrics and, and uh, really a, a capacity that's added to the production capacity of the country and many is financed by foreign investment. And it, this includes the movement of capital which <coughs> requires imports. So the, it moves capital into the country but it it requires imports. So it's reflected on both uh, sides. Uh, it, 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 it provides its own financing so far. But it tells us another message. 
we don't save enough. And we are dependent on foreign capital, not only in direct foreign investment, but also in debt, which is banks and public sector debt, which in certain periods, like in the crisis of 88 and in the uh, great recession of 2009, uh, in one time it brought the economy to a severe depression and now to a, a, a substantial deceleration of the economy has produced negative results. And uh, I'll make a note of that later. And uh, one of the positive consequences is that inflation, which by the international comparable standard, which is the so-called open unemployment, was 12% at the beginning of uh, the previous decade, is now in the order of 3%. We are in full employment. Now, part of this is people who somebody hires, pays them a salary, has social security protection, and people who work on their own. Uh, many of them don't draw a salary uh, and uh, don't have uh, the protection of the social network and are really a marginal uh, uh, on a subsistence uh, level. And then the other side of the coin is inflation. It started uh, really accelerating in 2005 with the overheating of the economy. One thing brings the other. Uh, the overheating of the economy and the, the, the <coughs> overshooting of world prices, and uh, it's, it's associated with fast rate of growth and the import prices. And uh, it's nowadays about 6%, and the projection for this uh, year is 6%. Our structure, economic structure, is unique. Uh, agriculture is very small as compared to Central America and Colombia. Manufacturing is uh, very small, single digit, as compared, again, to our two neighboring uh, regions, uh, Central America and Colombia. Commerce is very big. Transportation and communications, which includes the canal. Aviation, which is much larger than the canal. Communications, which is a large sector. So when you combine commerce and uh, transportation and financial intermediation, which is services, it gives you what the Panamanian economy is like. It's very unique is very similar to a developed economy uh, when you compare it to uh, the other, other uh, typical economies. So this is uh, how we have performed and how we are in a nutshell, the drivers. First of all, what the modern 
analysts call self-discovery. We were blocked from using the hinterland of the canal by the Canal Treaty of 1903. It was the treaty provided that the canal and its surrounding areas, the so-called canal zone, was for purposes of uh, building the canal, operating the canal, protecting the canal, and we, cannot, uh, we could not use it for development purposes. So we went into what the literature calls a process of self-discovery. We have to use our geographic position. What are we going to do it? So we invented many things. And here is a list. We adopted the US dollar as legal tender. Uh, we created a sound public registry, registry and a cheap registration law. And people from all over the world started registering their vessels on the Panamanian flag. A modern corporate law, which uh, Magistrate uh, Solis just mentioned. Uh, the Cologne Free Zone, which is the largest free trade zone in the Western Hemisphere nowadays and brings in a lot of foreign exchange to Panama, uh, a, uh, a very flexible tax legislation, modern banking legislation which has developed in a uh, banking center for the country, reinsurance law, the Panama Canal Treaty in 77 providing for the uh, return of, uh, of the canal to under Panamanian control, trust law, oil-free zones, uh, private interest foundations, a key element, the privatization of ports and utilities. Uh, I'll mention that in a moment. Full control of the canal in 99. The Howard Special Economic Zone, which is another sort of free zone on the Pacific side, but with uh, industry, manufacturing, assembly, uh, uh, an airport uh, next to the port uh, uh, and taking uh, off uh, very nicely, and the aviation hub of the Americas, which is another very interesting uh, development. Okay, let's see if I can handle this now. Now, and then another factor behind this is a package of public policies adopted in the mid-1990s, which changed the set, the economic mindset, which the military governments had adopted during their 21-year regime, which is, in essence, opened up the economy again. I did including a reduction of import duties by 30% on average across the board, and uh, changing the so-called uh, per specific to ad valorem of many items which had per specific duties which were, were prohibitive to ad valorem. The privatization of ports and utilities, all of which were managed by the state, with exception of water supply which still 
managed by, by the state. The coming to terms with the public debt overhang. Uh, the military had uh, put the country in hawk up to our ears, and the first administration after the invasion had uh, let the uh, commercial debt uh, unpaid. There were accumulated interest for close to 10 years, and uh, the whole thing had to be clear, so the debt was uh, renegotiated, and uh, first under the Brady scheme, and then uh, it w w uh, over the, the, a normal uh, procedure. Uh, the elimination of exclusivity to investments, uh, investment incentives, there, there was the so-called, uh, um, a, a sort, sort of club, and uh, the, the thing was open up and everybody had access to all the incentives on equal terms. And finally, we got to balance budgets and surpluses. And then there was a devolution of lands adjacent to, to the canal and other properties, assets, and the canal itself. And in, it, met a, it meant a shot in the arm to the economy equivalent to 6% of GDP, which was put to very good use for ports, industries, all sort of development. The, the whole package has meant a, a, a force, a, a boost to development for this decade that explains a lot of what is happening to the Panamanian economy and the uh, entrepreneurship of the Panamanians. The milestones, okay, let's mention the threats now. We have a very poor income distribution with a Gini coefficients of 52 I think only Chile is worse than us in the uh, continent. A very limited human resources skills pool, which among other things is the, re is, is the result of a very bad, I said uh, poor, which is, which is a poor choice of words, a very bad public educational system and, and, and a very bad uh, uh, training system for, for workers. And uh, some activities, uh, uh, for instance, uh, uh, we know that some hotels cannot really uh, fully utilize their capacity because there, there, there are no trained workers and uh, some industries that could develop, cannot develop, unless we develop some sort of scheme to, to uh, train the, the workers. Part of the explanation of why agriculture uh, is shrinking faster than it should be as a percentage of, of GDP is that we don't have an agricultural strategy, and we are uh, increasing uh, uh, our, our dependence on imports. 
Uh, well, I already mentioned the lack of domestic savings and dependence on, on foreign direct investment and credit uh, and, uh, and, the, and, and the danger that the economy could come to a sudden stop and then inflation and the loss of uh, real income. Let me end by mentioning uh, the potential of the economy. Uh, I see the, the potential as, uh, as the perspective as, as very positive. There are serious threats, but they're manageable. The expansion of the canal, which is going on uh, at the present, opens new and very positive vistas for additional ac activities and revenue. And parallel with this uh, expanded waterway, uh, a, a world-class logistics industry is, is uh, beginning to develop. Uh, tourism is another industry uh, very promising. Uh, there are possibilities in agriculture provided we adopt a uh, a, a sound strategy. There are also additional possibilities for the aviation hub and a financial center. The financial, uh, the economic model, which is questioned by many analysts, especially from the left, uh, in my view is sustainable, but it requires adjustments. And uh, let me say by ending the, the Panamanians, have been throughout history a peace-loving, hard-working people uh, who could make all of this possible. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Guillermo Chapman, Chairman of INDESA. And finally, please welcome Minister of Economy Frank DeLima for the final word. Good morning. I know of a presentation I'm supposed to talk about Panama's economy, but as the only government representative, I would like to address some of the issues that were raised before by the prior speakers. Um, former Ambassador Aleman mentioned, uh, you know, security and drug trafficking and, and organized crime in Panama. I think we all recognize the, the advances that have been made in this administration. For example, in the previous administration, in total, they invested about $30 million in security, and in President Martinelli's administration, we'll be investing over $450 million in security for radars, uh, ships, uh, helicopters, etc. We've been working closely with Holam Security. Also, there's a lot of collaboration between the Panamanian government, the Colombian government, the Mexican government, and obviously the American government. Little known fact, Panama was the country with the third highest decommission of cocaine in the world last year behind the United States and Mexico, I think, was the second. Education, um, also former Minister Chapman mentioned education. For 30 years, we've been talking about the need for a curriculum transformation or modernization in Panama. That is taking effect now uh, with the, the leadership of, Minister, of Minister Lucy Molinar. If we look back uh, in the previous administration, we had unfortunately four administration, four uh, mini uh, education ministers in a five-year period. So obviously we had some setbacks there. We're investing heavily and in, in also in, in new schools, 
a new laptop for the private school students, and to me, which is probably the most important government program that has been established in this administration, the Universal Scholarship, where we're giving a $20 a month scholarship to kids in private in public schools and in some private schools, as long as they maintain a C average, um, as long as their parents go and meet with their teachers so they become involved in their child's education. And that has helped uh, combat the school desertion that existed. 50% of kids that finished elementary school did not finish high school. So we're working to combat that with this uh, program. Corruption was mentioned also. Recently, the World Economic Forum published a competitiveness, competitiveness index where Panama uh, was ranked number 40 in the world. We're the second most competitive economy. Uh, we, we increased our ranking by nine positions. And in all the indicators dealing with corruption, uh, Panama showed improvement. There's a lot more room for improvement, we admit, but I think the tendency is that we are doing a lot uh, in, in that sense. Politics. Let's talk a little bit about politics. For 20 years, since 1989 to 2009, Panama was a two-party system with smaller satellite political parties, PRD and the Panamanista Party, the alternated power. In 2009, that paradigm, political paradigm was broken. A third-party candidate won the election. And now what we're seeing is this political game, gamemanship going on right now, and we're talking about the, for example, um, the reforms to the electoral process. The, elect the elections in Panama are in May of 2014, more than 18 months away. To say that it's too early, I mean, it's too late to change the rules of the game, I, I, I disagree respectfully with the president of the tribunal magistrate board. Most of the reforms that have been approved in the Congress were reforms that were included in the proposed package that was developed by the tribunal electorate. For example, we had what we called, we have circuits or districts where you vote for, one, for more than one representative, which are called the plurinominales. For example, in a, the area of San Miguelito, you vote for seven persons. With the current system, they have what you call the voto plancha. You vote for the political party. So one vote is counted seven times. That doesn't sound too democratic to me. So what we're doing is changing it to one person, one vote. And that way, that would be more representative than the current system. For example, in, in 2004, the PRD party received 38% of the votes for their congressmen, but they had 52% of the Congress. So where's the representation? Um, also, something that was briefly touched upon, and, and as a representative of the government, I would, I would like to address, is um, as the vice president mentioned, you know, I said I'm the only government official. Mr. Varela is vice president of the country, but after the coalition uh, was finished or broke up last year, Mr. Varela has become the, probably the biggest critic of the government. So to put that in perspective, it's, it would be if it's Rush Limbaugh or Bill Riley would be vice president of President Obama. But... <laughs> no offense, vice president. But, but the truth is, we're, we're trading on, on some of the decisions that the tribunal electorate has made recently. For example, with censorship, a group affiliated to the government put up an ad at, uh, criticizing the vice president. 
the tribunal electorate took it down. The United States is in a uh, electoral process right now, and you see all the political ads where candidates are defined by what they said in the past or what they've done, and I think that's something that the electorate needs to know where candidates stand. Right now, I can mention an effect, uh, an example of flip-flopping by the vice president when he mentioned that his movement, the, the Frente Antidemocratico, fought against the sale of government assets. What he didn't mention was that in this year's budget that was prepared last year by the former minister of economy, which is the vice president of his political party, included the sale of those assets, which was approved in cabinet by himself and the other ministers of his political party, and was approved also in Congress by his members of the Congress, but now they're against it. So just, I think these, this sort of flip-flopping is something that needs, to be, that, that, that needs to be included in a campaign so the candidates can be defined. And also they mentioned the case of Bebedero, which was um, an elected official, a representative, in 2009, the person that won was of the government party, Cambio Mocaratico. Unfortunately, that person died in a car accident. New elections were called. And the government's candidate won with 627 votes. The PRD, the opposition candidate, received 278 votes. And it was mentioned the government's candidate was a former school teacher. The PRD's candidate was a former guerrilla who fought in Nicaragua, I mean, who, who would you ask, who would you vote for, honestly, when, if, if you came at the moment? So we, we still don't agree with also the decision that was taken to annul that election and call for a new election. Okay, now we'll talk about the economy. <laughs> I'll go briefly because former Minister Chapman did a very good job of explaining um, as mentioned, Panama's economy grew 10.6% last year, the highest growth rate in all of Latin America. We expect to grow at 10% this year. And as you see, if you compare it to our peers, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Peru, we have at least almost double the economic growth that they're experimenting. Even though we have obviously a crisis in, in Europe, the IMF indicates that Latin America as a whole is a you know, the, the impact of the, of the Euro crisis will be minimal. And um, so we, that's why we, we maintain our estimates that we will have this double-digit growth this year, and we expect to grow 8.5% in year 2013. As mentioned, unemployment has reached its uh, historical low. You know, un open unemployment is 2.9%. Uh, unemployment 4.5%. If you ask anyone in the private sector, they, tell, they will tell you, that their main problem is getting labor, qualified labor at all levels, you know, managerial level, middle management, in, including people the stock shelves. We're having trouble finding uh, that type of labor. The key, as mentioned by Mr. Chapman, is the key to economics, a strong economic growth is the diversity of our economy. No sector of economy represents 20, more than 25% of GDP. Obviously, the canal, I know we're supposed to talk besides the canal, but the canal is fundamental, uh, and especially the other uh, activities around the canal, for example, the port system, um, obviously the finan our financial center. As you see, financial intermediaries with 9%, transportation storage and communications, 25%, re 
real estate, business, uh, 14%, etc. This strong economic growth has had positive social effects also. Mean uh, GDP improved um, 40, almost 45% since 2004, has increased close to $230 a month. And poverty has decreased from 38.3%. Well, the, this graph doesn't include the figures for 2012. Uh, poverty at 2012 is at 25.8%, and extreme poverty is at 10.4%. So we've seen um, the impact that this economic growth has, that Panama's had over the last couple of years in helping reduce uh, poverty and improving uh, you know, average wages. When this uh, administration took office, we contracted, uh, we hired McKinsey and Company to help us develop our strategic plan. What we looked at was what areas of, of the Panama, Panama had competitive and comparative advantages, obviously logistics, tourism, and financial services. So our, our investment program was structured in a way that we would help uh, increase the potential of these uh, three areas, which would be the drivers for job creation and for economic growth. Obviously, those who've had experience working with McKinsey know the famous moons. Uh, and there we see um, you know, where, where we have, obviously, logistics with the Panama Canal, tourism with our diversity, financial services. And, and which of these areas also does the government have an influence to be able to maximize the potential? And you know, we have future potentials, for example, offshoring services, uh, maritime services, uh, and you know, for example, uh, Panama becoming a medical tourism destination as Colombia and other countries in their region. Also, Panama last year received a little bit over two million visitors or tourists. Um, hopefully this year we'll be able to maintain our 10% uh, growth. We'll be at 2.2% and we'll soon catch up to Costa Rica and past Costa Rica. And, and if you ask, you know, 10 years ago, Costa Rica was light years ahead of Panama in, in tourism activity and we'll su surpass, surpass them. Logistics, when the ports were privatized back in 97, um, the Panamanian ports moved 250,000 containers a year. Last year, they moved 6.6 .6 million containers a year. So it just shows the strong growth we've had in, in, in our port system. We're also uh, opening up two new ports, and one of them will be um, developed by the Panama Canal Authority, hopefully. Um, also, the increase in, in the tolls that the Panama Canal receives, and also the strength of our uh, financial center, as you see the growth in assets over the last couple of years. Panama had a 2.3 fiscal deficit last year. And their fiscal responsibility law, which puts a cap on how much the fiscal deficit can be, established at 3%. And the first semester of 2012, we closed with a 1.2 fiscal deficit. And the law permits a 2.9% deficit for this year. If we compare to other countries, um, what our fiscal performance was, like I mentioned, Panama 2.3, the United States was at 8.2. Uh, Spain 9.3, Japan close to 9% also. And the reason we've been running deficits is because of the strong, well, first of all, uh, the debt to GDP ratio also that was uh, previously mentioned. Uh, we've gone down from 71%, we're at 41.8 at the end of 2011, and we expect to close below 41% at 2012. And what we've been doing with 
this, the, with the debt we've been contracting. It's, we've been spending it in public investment. Public investment was 8.8% of GDP last year. This administration will be investing a little bit over $13 billion. That does not include the $5.25 billion of the Panama Canal expansion program. The previous administration invested $4.4 billion. So we're seeing in a five-year period an almost 300% increase in public investment. As you can tell, for every dollar in debt from the period 2000-2004, for every dollar investment, sorry, 1.14 was financed with debt. In the period 2005 to 2009, for every dollar of investment, 46 cents of it was financed with debt. And this administration, with every dollar of investment, 26 cents of it is being financed with debt. Recently, we created a sovereign wealth fund, which we call the Panama Savings Fund, that is going to capture the excess revenue that the Panama Canal is going to generate after the expansion is completed at the end of 2014. And the purpose of this uh, sovereign wealth fund or the Panama Savings Fund is for economic stabilization in predetermined cases. For example, when we have natural disasters that cause damage above half a percent of GDP. In today's terms, it will be over $150 million. Our GDP is close to $30 billion, a little bit more. And then the government can ask for a waiver and use uh, the monies or the capital in the, in the sovereign wealth fund to help re the, cover the cost of, of, of rebuilding or reconstruction. And when we have uh, economic downturn or recession, uh, we define that as when the economy grows less than 2% for two quarters consecutively, then also the government can implement a counter-cyclical uh, investment program to reactivate the economy using the monies from the sovereign wealth fund. I think, to me, this is the most impressive graphic of all, of the evolution of our economy, of the capacity of the government in the future to invest. As I mentioned, our economy at the end of 2011 was a little bit over $30 billion. At the end of this year, it's going to be $34 billion. By 2025, Panama's economy should be over $100 billion. And you see the evolution of our uh, debt to GDP will be uh, below 22% by the year 2025, if the f following governments maintain the fiscal deficits that are contemplated in our fiscal responsibility law, and if we add to that the monies that will be accumulated in the sovereign wealth fund, Panama will have a net debt to GDP percentage of 16.2%. And also you see the evolution of the capex or the public investment capacity that the future governments will have. The next administration will have the capacity to invest $19 billion, which is almost 50% more than what this administration will be investing. Some final conclusions. Uh, you know, Panama has demonstrated a robust, sustained economic growth and is currently exceeding economic growth averages both regionally and globally. This growth goes together with the re responsible fiscal policies. The, the debt to GDP, GDP ratio keeps uh, falling. Um, the IMF recently published a study that it, it, contemplates that Panama will have the highest economic growth in the region for the next five years. We've, like I said, we improved to number 40 in the Global Competitors Report. We've improved 19 positions in the three years of the President Martinelli's administration. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister uh, DeLima. Uh, now for the really interesting, I, this has been very interesting, 
uh, as well. This has been like a town meeting, and I hope you've gotten a sense of the range of opinions and points of view represented by various people in government and as well as out of government. Now I'd like to call on Michael Shifter to come up and, and uh, uh, deliver some brief uh, thoughts on, on this discussion and open our question and answer session. Michael. Well, good morning uh, to everybody, and um, thank you, uh, Steve. It's been a real pleasure to collaborate with you and uh, with CSIS. I also want to thank uh, Michael Grable, who's really was uh, helped uh, put this event together and has done a terrific job. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, Hami Aleman uh, before his tremendous uh, support and guidance and uh, really making this possible. So thank you very much. Uh, ambassador Jaramillo, I want to thank as well, and Guillermo Coches, who's the ambassador to the Organization of American States from Panama. And I want to thank these terrific uh, speakers uh, who have joined us. Uh, last night we met uh, first for dinner, and uh, they asked me, you know, what, what advice could I give? And I said, I think you should just be honest and tell, say what's on your mind, but I didn't expect that they would listen to me. Uh, <laughs> because that rarely happens, but in this case, they actually listened to me. So um, I think this was a very, very frank and useful uh, conversation. Uh, let me just say, for the Inter-American Dialogue, um, this event is extremely important. Uh, this year, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary of the Dialogue, and uh, our founding chair <coughs> of the Inter-American Dialogue was Ambassador Saul Linowitz. Uh, who was one of the negotiators of the Panama Canal Treaty in uh, 1977, uh, five years before the dialogue started. Um, so we, uh, when we honor him, we also honor one of his greatest uh, accomplishments. Um, this session is entitled Beyond uh, the Panama Canal, but in, in some ways it struck me that the comments were almost too, too modest and utter understated this morning about the uh, really remarkable performance of the canal and the prospects for its continued uh, outstanding performance. Uh, I, would even, I would even put more of an emphasis uh, on that than uh, I know the Panamanians are very modest, but uh, let, I, I'll do that. Uh, and also just the extraordinary growth and dynamism of the economy. Uh, this was raised at the end by Minister de Lima and also uh, Guillermo Chapman, but really if one looks at it from a, from a distance, it's quite uh, stunning. Uh, and impressive. Uh, I was talking to a colleague from Singapore the other day, and uh, he said, you know, we're from Singapore. We're like the Panama of Asia, he said. Um, so um, this is quite, uh, this is quite uh, an impressive uh, story in Panama. But at the same time, we have the strength of the economy, the canal, and the other drivers of the economy that Minister Lima mentioned. But there are obviously are real challenges that came out in this discussion this morning, and uh, not only in terms of sustaining the economic growth, uh, but also in dealing with questions of um, inequality, uh, poverty. And um, we all know uh, from the data that the best way to overcome these problems is through a better education system. And uh, I hope that Minister DeLima, the encouraging comments he gave on the, some of the reforms and changes that are taking place in education uh, really take hold because I think that would give, uh, that would make a tremendous difference. Uh, other speakers emphasize some of the institutional challenges. 
um, the uh, concerns about the erosion in the rule of law, concerns about freedom of the press. Uh, these are soft spots um, that uh, came out of the discussion, I think, this morning, uh, the politicization of the judicial sector, which, is, of course, is not peculiar to Panama. And I'm sure, as uh, uh, all of you, like me, kept thinking as we were listening to these uh, great speakers that this is, well, you know, this is also true in a number of other countries uh, in the region and also in the United States uh, to different degrees and so forth, but this is not, these, these problems which were focused on Panama are not entirely peculiar to, to Panama. Um, let me just pose two questions and then I'm going to open it up to all of you. We have roughly a half hour and I want to just get as many uh, comments uh, and questions out there as possible. We have a terrific group this morning, but it just strikes me that the two questions um, that are really relevant are, one is, you know, uh, has Panama always been this way? In other words, some of these institutional concerns, the poverty and equality, is there something uh, really that's uh, that's, that's really significantly different about this government than previous governments, uh, or is this the way it's kind of been and has been, and, and what sort of distinguished between what's been there for a long time to what's really been new in Panama in the last couple of years. And second, which is a question that I think a lot of countries are asking, is can this be sustained? In other words, the vibrancy, the dynamism of the economy, the growth of the economy, and the kind of political malaise in some ways, institutional concerns, uh, some sense of erosion of checks and balances and the like. Um, is this somehow going to really, uh, really uh, could produce a crisis? Or could one imagine that this will just continue to go on, the, sort of the economy going strong and the political challenges? And I think that's, if one looks around the region, I think there are a number of other countries that are also uh, asking uh, that question. Uh, anyway, those are two questions. What I would like to do is open it up to all of you. Please uh, identify yourselves. Please be uh, brief. And we're going to try to get as many questions as we can. We'll start with Steve Donahue, and then we'll, Ambassador, I see you. And we'll go to you afterwards. Please wait for the microphone. So, uh, good morning, and thank you, Stephen Donahue from McClarty Associates. Uh, uh, very uh, interesting and and uh, almost fun to listen to. Uh, if it weren't so embarrassing uh, to to see the level of discord that uh, that exists among our friends from Panama. Uh, how about now? It's about as close as it can get. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the things that investors uh, really look at, and, and you all have been very successful so far, is transparency and a level playing field and a rule of law. And, and the challenge that we're seeing this week in Panama's political system is the way that uh, the political reforms that you all have talked about are holding up action in the Panas Panamanian legislature. Uh, one of the things that it's holding up is passage of the free trade agreement, which we all care about. One of the reasons we care about it uh, is not because there's going to be all that much more trade between our countries, but because it sets into place some rules for investors and some guarantees for investors. Uh, for the gentleman who represents the press, since you are more or less neutral on this issue and you didn't address it, what does this new reform actually say that people are finding so objectionable? And for the minister, when do you think the FDA will get through, and when can we look forward to, to starting to have those protections?
I'm Timothy Tell, a retired Yankee diplomat. Retired is great because that means I can ask my question without clearing it with Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> my dear friend, former Secretary Otto Reich, who's tough, and really the most important person in this room, if, you, if you've not met her, Kelly, who's the Pan Panamanian desk officer of the State Department. You can go try and track down the Secretary of Treasury. He's very busy today with the stock through the roof, and you, yep, I do. <laughs> and you can track down uh, Hillary, but she's busy in Benghazi. Talk to Kelly, she does the talking points. This is very important today, what you've done, and it's a fabulous, fabulous thing. The United States has a special relationship with the hemisphere and a very special relationship with Panama, and therefore we should focus on this now and not get distracted with other places where we don't do things as well. Benghazi, Egypt, Afghanistan. Uh, you mentioned the drug cooperation, which is so important, as did Ambassador Allen. We're at fault. We're the demand side of this crap. Financial institutions, Guillermo, our financial institutions, our money launderers, cooperating with people in the neighborhood, of course, and I love to go hunting, but we have weapons that you saw on TV in Benghazi Mr. killing Ambassador, people. Can you, can you, uh, so we're it? at fault, and we should apologize. Thank you. And, uh, and uh, vigorous politics. I saw politics here. Golly, that's great. You watched TV after the wonderful dinner last night, and you saw our people going at it, and they're hit they're advisors, but you, we only have a month, and you've got 2014. Poor Panamanian people to go through that. Uh, thank, thank you. you very much. You don't have a question? And you're lucky to have an adult, then? yeah, right yeah. now. You're okay, lucky good. to have an adult ambassador of the United States in Panama now, because Jonathan Ferrara, I worked with forever, is, doesn't raise his voice as I do, he talks quietly, and you can hardly hear him. And before he opens his trap, he thinks, and then he carefully talks to the free press and the foreign ministry and the president of the republic. So you're lucky. And the other distinguished ambassador can use her foreign-leading activities engaging with a rustic country and system like those neighbors of yours in Thank Nicaragua. You very, thank you very much. My question, to, oh, question, do you okay. agree good, with good, me? Good. Does this distinguished panel agree with what I've said? Okay, good. That, great question. question. Uh, yes, Arturo, and back there, we'll try him. Thank you very much. Congratulations for the amazing just, just presentation. I am Arturo Contreras from the Inter-American Defense College. Uh, my question is for Minister de Lima. Uh, what is the Panamanian government doing to create the knowledge to support the amazing grow up of the economy of Panama in order to prevent the changes of the future? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and Michael, here. Uh, Mike Masetic with the PBS Online NewsHour. Regarding education, do you have enough teachers there, or are you going to have to bring them in from other places? And in a lot of countries, the various changes, reforms in education have been resisted by teachers and organized teachers groups. Are the teachers in your country 
with this program or are they resisting it? Okay, thank you. Yes, this gentleman here, and then we'll go. My name is Joe Reeder, and I chaired the Panama Canal Commission from set from '93 to '97, and I want to I want to applaud uh, Panama first for its uh, anti-trafficking uh, in persons legislation, which they just passed. I've had enormous help uh, from Ambassador Aleman, from Ambassador uh, Jaramillo. Uh, it's not just the people trafficking. You all have been promoted now from a very bad category tier to, uh, uh, what's the last word? Watch up to tier two. You, del you deserve to be in tier one, but you got to earn it to get there, and you got to follow what's in that statute. Here's my question. I don't think, uh, with all respect to the minister and my dear friend, uh, Guillermo Chapman, that you have a bright future unless you top prioritize the fact that your judiciary is rated 133 out of 142 by the International uh, Economic Forum in the world. Now, those, that rating doesn't belong. And I, my question to you, sirs, uh, in government, is does Panama have that as a top priority? Because you will not get there. I advise Fortune 100 companies, one, um, Sunbeam, who's not going to headquarter there, and uh, uh, they're waiting right now. Lots of other companies aren't going to go there if they don't think they're going to get a fair shake in your courts. So that's question number one. And question number two is, are you going to implement that, uh, that trafficking statute? Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, sir. Thank you very much. Yes, right, right here, a question here. This gentleman here. Uh, good morning to all the panel. Um, I'm Christopher Tolo. I'm a scholar student from San as well as all my partners right here. Um, I have a quick question for Mr. Chapman and Mr. DeLima. Mr. Chapman addressed in his presentation that the economic model, in order to be sustainable, needs to have a few changes. How would you, which are those changes that need to be, and how are you guys going to implement it in the future years upcoming? I think that Mr. Juan Carlos Valera will be able to answer that question as well. Thanks. Very much. Uh, Luis, right here. I'm Luis Botello with the International Center for Journalists. I'm really happy to see uh, uh, all these wonderful people. And thanks for the organizers and Michael and, and Jaime and everybody. In terms of the, uh, you know, the media in Panama, as you all know, has always had these contagious relations, as you, Guillermo has mentioned. But what is it that different now? I mean, the, uh, you know, we have had uh, periods in the in history where where the media has been. I mean, always under attack. In fact, uh, a lot of the, the legal cases uh, that are up here at the Inter-American uh, Court of Human Rights, you will see that they, they have been for years. It has been like a method of, uh, of intimidating the press to use the legal system. So what is it that is different now? And how is that in terms of for investigative reporting? I know that there have been attempts to do more investigations, but the access to information has been difficult, despite the fact that we have an access to information law. Uh, is it working? And why it is not working in terms uh, to promote transparency? And, and for the uh, election, in terms of what, where we are in terms of transparency in uh, campaign finances. Uh, I know that you know, this is a extremely important for any uh, democracy to have openness and transparency on, on campaign finances. 
You've been very patient, sir. Back there. Cesar Cañedo, uh, I work at CIFI. CIFI is a financial institution that provides uh, financing to uh, companies working in, uh, in Latin America. And actually, we are uh, now structuring a, a couple of uh, uh, deals for companies working in Panama. Uh, both companies uh, look very reputable for us based on the experience they have worldwide. And when we uh, were conducting the due diligence in Panama, <coughs> we saw all the news in the press, and you know, we haven't found anything uh, strange in the awarding process. Uh, they look very uh, reputable companies. And my question to you is, if you were me doing the due diligence, should I consider everything that the press says about the companies, the awarding process, or is it just an internal fight between government and companies? Because I, we haven't found anything material so far. Very much. Yes, you've been in the back there, please. Thank you, Michael. Patrick Kilbride with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, we've been tremendously impressed with the growth traje trajectory in Panama and think that the FTA will take the bilateral relationship to a new level. But we do uh, share some of the concerns that have been expressed about corruption. And a particular challenge seems to be that uh, transnational criminal organizations could gain a foothold. Uh, we've seen an uptick in uh, illicit commerce through the free trade zone, for instance. So I wonder what the government's plans are to address that issue, and is Panama prepared to stake out a leadership role in addressing what really is a global problem? Thanks. Thank you very much. Yes, back here. Yes. I'm Courtney Vaughn with Gulf Lady. Thank you so much for your presentation. And if probably Mr. Chapman or the Minister of Economy could shed some light on the stage of development of the financial sector in Panama, and um, how it has contributed to the maybe last decade investment in growth and for the future if there's any reform being done to be able to support it domestically. Thank, Thank you. you very much. We're going to have just uh, a question here. Phil, you want to ask? Okay. We'll, we'll try one right here. Yes, sir. Jorban Dorsey, Universidad de Panama. Uh, for Don Guillermo Chatman, I have a question about uh, the educational system. There is a lack of, of qualified people in Panama. What, in your opinion, what is the, the skills that we need to improve on our scholar system? I mean schools, colleges, universities. Thank you. Thank you. We'll try uh, Phil McLean here. I'm sorry, we're going to have to. I'm Phil McLean, associate here at uh, CSIS. Uh, just a, a brief question on, you know, in, in all this uh, wonderful growth and, and uh, the, the absolutely shockingly positive uh, economic story, uh, it's gonna, if it's going to be spread around, it's going to be the education system, which is going to, to do it, the Bolsa Familiar or whatever you, you, your, your name for that, uh, uh, that, that commonly used uh, scholarship system. But another part is the labor system, and you didn't mention uh, labor reform. When you listed your, your, your uh, reforms, labor has been one of them, I believe, uh, and I, just a little bit more uh, development of how the labor system is going to be developed in a way that it that, that draws in the, the totality of the population. Thank you very much. I'm sorry, we're gonna, there are some other questions, but I think we're going to have to, uh, since we want to end at, at 11.30, so I'm going to give the panelists uh, 
opportunity to respond. Obviously, some questions were directed to to uh, individuals. But one, Mr. Vice President, you want to start? Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. I, I think the, the most important message that you should receive from this is that you have sitting on the same table people from the different political spectrums and we're conversing. Last time we went out to dinner and if we probably meet later, we'll, we'll have a drink together. That's the, that's the important thing that Panama, as was mentioned, is a, a, a young democracy that's maturing that people um, live together peacefully, and we're, what we shouldn't allow is that these political differences that happen in all, almost all democracies put in risk our economic growth that we're that we're enjoying right now. Um, if if I may just address some of the the some of the issues that were that were raised, uh, the free trade agreement. Yes, there are five laws in Congress ready, uh, waiting for approval so the free trade agreement can be uh, come into. Uh, into place by the 1st of October. We're at uh, the 14th of September, so hopefully we can have, you know, after this whole discussion on the, on the electoral reforms are done, we can, uh, you know, focus on that. One of the proposals that was included in the Cambio Democrático's uh, electoral reforms was shortening the political uh, electoral period to six months, because I agree, I think it's too long, um, but some opposition political parties are beginning their electoral process in March of, of next year, almost a year before that, and that's one of the things that was negotiated. We agreed to, to maintain it at a year. Um, teachers Union, I think that, yes, they are resistant to the changes that have been made, but one of the key attributes that the Minister of Education has is she, she's a, a journalist, so she has been able to sway public opinion in her favor, and now you see uh, people, for example, the parents, the parents, uh, you know, unions or associations, speaking in favor of what the Ministry of Education is doing, something that didn't occur before, and, and, and now you see public opinion in favor of the need of reforming uh, education. The judicial system, um, you know, people criticize the, the executive for the shortfalls of the judicial system, but then they criticize the, the executive for trying to concentrate power. So we're, we're supposed to have a, a separation of powers. What the executive is doing is increasing the budget allocation to the judicial system. It has been has done so for the last three years. Um, I'm not a lawyer, so I can go really much into much other details of what needs to be fixed. But I, I agree. I think that as long as we don't have a, a a world-class judicial system, Panama won't be a world, uh, or educational system for that matter, we won't be uh, a first-class uh, country. Um, campaign finance, one of the, there was, uh, in the reforms also, there was uh, to make public the the uh, the donations, as it works right now, the the political parties have to, rebu to report to the tribunal electorate who, the, who their donor donors are in 2004, then candidate Martinelli made public his um, his list of donors. I mean, even if the law doesn't ask for it, I, the the candidates are in liberty to make it public if they if they sue, though, do want to. Um, in regards, uh, we're also in a process of modernizing our money laundering law. It was very effective. It was implemented in 2000. We're in the process of submitting to cabinet a new money laundering law to make it. Uh, more accord with the times to protect our financial center. And we're also
also began the process of negotiating tax treaties with principally OECD countries, and that's why Panama was removed from the OECD gray list, also to protect and strengthen our financial center, which has been a key uh, driver for our economic growth because due to its you know, high liquidity, uh, you know, companies uh, in Panama have access to credit lines so they can maintain their growth levels. I think that's roughly Great. what. Thank you. Thank you very much. Guillermo? First of all, first of all, I would uh, agree with Minister De Lima that we need to to do a thorough revamping of our judicial system. Just uh, throwing more money at it won't do the trick. Uh, the judicial system, to use the kindest word that comes to my mind, is shameful. Uh, and uh, nobody could rely on it. How would the TPC work is because it has uh, uh, panels, binational panels, to which uh, U.S. investors, U.S. Uh, entrepreneurs can, ask, can have access to, and that's the way they will seek redress which is kind of unfair to Panamanian investors, but uh, that's the way the U, uh, uh, U.S. government has uh, sought to protect uh, its investors all over the world where the, it has uh, trade treaties. Uh, and the same applies for educational reform. There have been some reforms. Uh, Minister uh, Molinar has done a commendable job but uh, in order to reform education, you have to start by reforming the educators. Uh, that's a long-term process. You have to send them back to school. You have to finance them. Uh, and uh, they, they are no, in no mood to, co to cooperate. Uh, you need a revolution there. And that's the second element of changing the model. And uh, you have to introduce a, a very serious program for training uh, uh, workers. And then you need to go into the political process and provide for the decentralization of political power. The municipal governments in Panama are a joke. They really don't have any power. They don't have any taxing power. They don't have any resources. The basic uh, functions like uh, building streets, transportation, water supply, sanitation, whatever, that a typical municipal government in any country in the world has, uh, in Panama, they, they don't do it. So the deputies, the members of parliament, uh, become puppets of the executive in order to raise monies to uh, provide those services. 
and uh, they, they, the, the, the executive provides the money through so-called uh, uh, items, uh, budget items that go through the, uh, through, through the legislators, to the deputies, the congressmen, to the different uh, districts. And in order to have legislators who really work on national issues, on national legislation, you have to make sure that the municipal governments have the resources and the capacity to solve local problems and not the uh, legislators elected by the different uh, circumscriptions. Guillermo, we'll have to try to wrap up the any sure. other questions. Yeah. And then labor. We need labor reform, and somebody mentioned here, and more flexible migration laws. Ours are as bad as yours. <laughs> and, uh, and agricultural thing. Uh, the, the financial center is very open internationally, and it's, it's pro, it provides for adjustment uh, when it, it, it buys, uh, it uh, accumulates external uh, assets, uh, it deposits the assets international. When it needs uh, uh, to finance the local economy, it brings in uh, external assets and, and, and provides financing uh, to the economy. It, it has been a very good source of financing. And then with respect to the uh, money laundering, the question is try to open an accounting panel. It's more difficult than opening a bank account in, Pana, in the United States. Thank you very much. Uh, Guillermo, do you want to address the question on, on the press? Yes, but just uh, let me put something clear. Somebody here says, uh, here we are uh, different political groups. I don't belong to any political group. I'm an independent, just to make it clear, okay? And uh, <laughs> the other thing is, uh, the question about transparency is, us, is it the top secret in our country that nobody wants to let know uh, to our people who puts the money in the winner or in the second or in the third uh, 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 people who's, who's running from, for uh, any uh, post. Now, uh, is it true that uh, in these times there are a narco politics and there's a lot of money that in other countries uh, has been uh, denounced that are a part of the, of the political system. So what we need in Panama, we'd like to know. I'm sure that you would agree with me to know why not say this guy and this guy, they give me uh, support. So uh, that's part of the question. Uh, the uh, transparency is part of the problem we have with uh, every government. It's not only this government. This is a matter, a matter of a cultural, a, a cultural uh, situation. Nobody wants to change. We have a, a bipartisan uh, 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 reality in Panama, and then, as uh, Mr. Sondadima says, suddenly appears uh, a third uh, a party. It's true, but that was a signal that uh, our population sends. We are tired of the same politics. Now, if that signal is not counted as part of a reality, maybe in the next election there's going to be a, a surprise because it's evident that the, that the system is, uh, is tired. It's uh, part of uh, many years. 
in that uh, change, like in every in, in a lot of uh, uh, countries in, in in America. Now, to finally, what we are looking for in Panama uh, is that the uh, officials in, in every government they try to put a shield on them that uh, nobody can uh, uh, disagree with them. To disagree today more than yesterday because this is not the first president. We have been, there was a president called Toro Perez Valladares. Toro is bull. Mm -hmm. He was a bully. Yeah, bull bully. So it's not the first. Mr. Martinelli, don't trust me. Just read the newspapers, look for TV stations, read the station. That's the truth. Uh, what I said here, I, uh, as part of a, of, of a continuous situation, yesterday, let me say, give you a, a good news or a bad news. Two uh, journalists were condemned for $20,000, $20,000, because they make a, they make a, a cover of a, road, of a road close to a high-ranked officer. Uh, he was a part of a, a Supreme Court, or he was a minister. And uh, the uh, Ministry of Public Works uh, built this uh, road in front of his house to uh, as a benefit this guy. And you know what happened? That's the end of the story. Yesterday, they have to put to pay twenty thousand dollars because he feels that uh, what are they doing uh, in my private life? No, no. Uh, uh, an official is an official twenty-four hours a day, and they they forget sometimes that uh, they are public uh, 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 personalities, and they cannot divorce one thing from the other. So that's part of the situation. Uh, there is another uh, uh, a menace of a uh, uh, million dollars in a, in a suit that are building now. So I repeat, my uh, intervention here was uh, the, the, the sum of uh, different events uh, that are all in the media, are here in the States, in the uh, 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 human rights, are here in many uh, places. So you can choose. If you want uh, to see what ha what's happening, just read the newspapers or listen to TV or radio. Thank That's you. Thank is. you very much. Thank you. First of all, I want to thank you and Stephen for organizing this. Uh, I think it's very important for uh, the world, especially the United States, to see what is happening in Panama. As I said, the, in 1977, the Canal Treaty was signed by T Carter and Torrijos, the Torrijos-Carter Treaty for Panama. And one of the assumptions there that was a legitimate recognition of the right to self-determination through democracy for Panama. And we, st we tried to start a democracy process back then that we have started in 1990 after just cause. And this process, it's in jeopardy right now. And that is very important to know and to realize. Since 1990, we have had several elections. All of them have been won by the opposition. And we have had several referendums. All of them have been won by the opposition. Why is that? I don't know, but that is a fact. The only referendum that was a national referendum and had no opposition was the referendum on the canal. So 
we need to realize what is going on in Panama with the rule of law. The reform commission established by the electoral court has been proposing changes to better the electoral law since 1990. Four experience have been a success. This time, with this government, the experience failed. We had plenty of good reforms, transparency. We set limits to what you can spend. We set limits to a single donor. And we requested to publish in the web the report that candidates can fabricate to the electoral court because we cannot use them. We just have to have them there. Thanks to the report that they have to file and that we can use, we did use them in one case, and we show that official monies were used in a political campaign last year. Panama is a showcase for Latin America. We are an experience, and we are a good and positive experience. There's no need to go through a turmoil to strengthen our institutions. Right now, we, the Panamanian people, the majority of the people, has a perception. And as we speak, there are, the, the government party is trying to approve a reform to the electoral law, custom designed by the ruling party. Disregarding the consensus and the reform of the National Reform, Electoral Reform Commission. We are going through a very difficult electoral process. We will go through if we don't change our attitude. And only awareness will change that attitude. The Electoral Court is the referee. We are neutral. But if one of the players start committing faults, we have to call on them, and they don't like it. And if they discredit the referee, if they discredit the process, there's a chance that the people will doubt the legitimacy of the elections in two years. We have to guarantee a fair play in a level field. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Vice President, you have the last word. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Well, first of all, as you see, we disagree in some points with Minister de Lima, but we all, all the speakers, we agree in one thing. We all see a bright future for our country, even though all the different issues that were debated here. About negative campaign, I agree with Minister de Lima that in the U.S. you see a lot of negative campaign. But I disagree with him because President Obama doesn't paint his negative campaign with the commission coming from the government agency that spent a lot of money in the government image. That's totally different. When you, when for every, well, every five commercials that the government runs since the agency that runs all the government propaganda also runs the government campaign, then the commission, which is 20%, will go in negative campaign against the vice president and other political candidates. So that's not uh, fair play, but that's part of politics. Also, I agree that we are 
a very small country and we all know each other. So even though that I can uh, have difference with Minister Dolima, that when they try to sell assets for close to $3 billion, land of the Cologne Free Zone, the Church of the Electrical Companies, the Church of Kellogg Wireless, then I had to invite political leaders of other opposition party, which is, has been in conflict with us for the past 40 years. Even that party stole from my party two elections, 1968 and 1989, and I invite them to my party to put together a front for democracy to stop that, and we stop it, and we're here. We stop that, and we stop the president for appointing three new Supreme Court judges that will give him a strong majority in the Supreme Court to be able to change electoral laws, maybe intend re-election, maybe try to change different things. As I speak to you, I'm here in Washington, probably Panamanians are going to Congress now to try to stop this electoral reform, which is not good for the country. But at the end of the country, we move forward. We have enough, enough teachers. We have to train our teachers. We have to protect our logistic system from being used by organized crime. I think we're doing that. We have to change our different things in our education system because our economy is creating new jobs, but the education system needs to create people that can take those jobs. If not, then we have to open, as it happened in pilots and other uh, architects, civil engineers and other professions, people have to come from other countries to help us because the economy is creating a lot of new technical jobs and we need to train our people for that. There's a lot of challenge for our country, but I feel optimistic about it. The only thing is that since radar were invented, pilots avoid storms and they get you to the airport without going through a storm. Because you can avoid the storms, you just go above, go below, take a, a, a different alternative route. But it seems that our pilot uh, likes this going through a storm. But even though he likes that, the plane, believe me, I can be honest to you, we're going to a very tense election, but the plane is going to get to the airport and Panamanians will live happy and will be a great country for everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I, just, I just want to thank everybody. Uh, we survived the turbulence, obviously, and uh, it's been a terrific uh, session, and I want to thank all of you for joining us and your great comments and questions and our distinguished Panamanian uh, guests and speakers. Thank you all very, very much.